Welcome back to another episode of Clerical Conversations. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and with us for this episode is His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn. Hello, Your Excellency. Hello. I've had an opportunity to be here this week and observe the seminary, and I, I reflected with you that I came in March of 2009 to visit the seminary for the first time, and now it's March of 2022. Much has changed. But I also think the nature of the vocations have changed. I I was speaking with one of the seminarians, and he mentioned you use the phrase miracles of grace to describe some of the vocations that are coming now. And I was shocked to hear that some simply recently converted to Catholicism and then decided that they should follow a priestly vocation. And I think that's unconventional in the sense I don't think most of us are used to hearing of someone converting to Catholicism and then pursuing the priesthood. We've seen it historically. It it happens all the time. But it's, it's quite something to hear about it. Yes, we're seeing that phenomenon quite a bit. There are some vocations that come from very traditional families where you would expect them, but they're not coming as much as you would think, actually. I'd have to do an analysis, but I would venture to say that the majority are coming from people who are either nothing, who start out as nothing, or Protestants, or various other non-Catholic backgrounds, who, by the grace of God, find the truth, and it's usually on the internet. As I said, the internet is one of our best friends. And they read themselves into Catholicism. That's the only way you could put it. But you can't you can't do that without the grace of God. You can't have that interest and that drive to do that. You can't see the beauty of the Catholic faith without the grace of God. And that's why I say it's a miracle of grace. Uh, St. Paul had that. You see, St. Paul is a very, very clear example of someone who was moved by the grace of God in a very sudden manner to embrace the faith. St. Augustine, too. St. Augustine was a dissolute man into all kinds of errors, manichaeism, etc., probably a lot of uh, intellectual pride in him. And he was moved by the grace of God to pick up St. Paul. That's a famous story that he himself relates. And he had a, a conversion, a very, very dramatic conversion, became a doctor of the church, one of the greatest doctors of the church. And there are others, St. Ignatius Loyola to a great extent. I mean, he was a soldier. I mean, he had the faith, of course, but he didn't show an intense love of God when he was a soldier. But when he was wounded, he read books and he had this conversion. St. Uh, Gerard Magella, I think, is another one. You read about certain saints who were worldly in their youth, but eventually uh, St. Francis of Assisi, for example. This, this does happen. And in this world of absolute doctrinal corruption, it is amazing to see how these people find their way not only to, you might say, Novus Ordo Catholicism, you know, they, they was some sort of you know, inclination to Catholicism in general, which is presented today as the Novus Ordo, but they see that as shallow and worthless and they find their way into the true faith. I, I am amazed every time, and not only find them s- their way into the true faith, but aspire to be priests. So there's a high incidence of that among our seminarians, and it is a- an amazing thing to, th- to see. And they make good seminarians. They don't have any vestiges of their old errors. They are fine Catholics. They obey the rule. They become priests. The room that we're recording this episode in is adjacent to where the old chapel was when I had first visited in 2009. And as I, we've talked about this week, single-digit seminarians. And now you're in the midst of a, a major move to deal with double-digit seminarians, something that you were used to when you were at Ridgefield. And I think as I had a chance to look at the different aspects of what's going on here in Brooksville with the vocations of the nuns, the growth of the school, that I can't help but think that 
our Lord is sending graces to counter all of the horrible things that we're dealing with today, whether it's COVID or trans rights or any of these other bits of nonsense, that grace has to match where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And both you and Bishop Selway already were planning for more vocations, and then even more vocations came than you were planning for. Yes, Bishop Selway designed the nuns' convent back in 2014 when I think we had something like six or seven nuns, and I think it can hold 17. And he said that he thought that would be for 20 years. Yes. Well, it's all too small right now, and he's looking around for another building in order to accommodate the influx of nuns. God has blessed their apostle a great deal. They now have this uh, internet school which is has the double good effect of bringing the good education and also the faith and just the example of the nuns. I mean, even if you're a non-Catholic looking at this, because a lot of their customers are non-Catholics, but they can opt out of the religion course. You see, so if they don't want the religion course, but a lot of them take the religion course. And so just seeing the nun, you know, there, there's a, a what we call an outreach going on. There is a, an experience of Catholicism, at least that, even if they're not taking the religion course. It has that effect, and then it has the effect that it is a source of income for the sisters. We all have to live, and we have to expand and grow, and because people are so disgusted with their school districts and what is going on, uh, all the transgender stuff, all of that. They want what we offer, and they are willing to pay for it. So it has that good effect. As a matter of fact, the star catechism boy in the internet school is a Lutheran. <laughs> Not for long. Right. That he recites his catechism, he says the rosary <laughs> every day. And to hear him speak, you would say, well, that young man is, is a nice, good Catholic boy. He's Lutheran. Right, so you know that he is most probably going to embrace the Catholic faith as he grows up. And then he'll apply to the seminary. He may, may, <laughs> may well do that, you know. So, you know, it is a form of what is commonly called outreach today. So it has the, had that a good effect. And also the sisters as a congregation have a very good reputation. Bishop Selway went to a great deal of trouble to research the rules of religious orders with the help of the nuns themselves to set it up right. It functions well, uh, it's humming, and that attracts young ladies to become sisters. So they have an overflow problem right now. They have to find a bigger place, just as we did. As you say, he's looking for a property. And, and when we had a chance to look at the convent yesterday, he's thinking about modular housing to sort of get them through the gap Yes, as they finish construction. There is a gap. <laughs> Getting back to our own situation, I saw the increase in vocations coming in 2019. I could just tell that there was something going on. Something in the water. Yeah. And I thought we have to find another place. So uh, the eternal problem was that most of the buildings that would be suitable were too big. We cannot afford all the maintenance and everything that pertains to a, you know, something that's 100,000 square feet. It's just not possible. And so another problem was that most of the religious houses are owned by the Novus Ordo, who would sooner tear it down or blow it up than sell it to us. <laughs> Right, so you can't even approach them. Also, they're so big. It, from, from about 1900 to the council, there was an, an enormous increase of vocations in this country. So you have these seminaries that look like universities. I mean, they, they can hold 300 people. We are not going to see 300 people for a long, long time. 
So I had to find a building that was affordable for us and uh, which was not too big, but not too small. So I found that building in Pennsylvania that we're working on right now, but it has taken two years to prepare it. And most of that time was in the red tape of getting approvals. Mm. Sorry to say, where you deposit things with the local city and they take forever and ever and ever to approve it. They don't answer. And then COVID didn't help either because they shut down City Hall. So you're dealing with people on a basis of emails and they're at home. And when you're at home, you know, you're feeding the dog, you're doing other things. You're not concentrating on your work. Uh, So, you know, working at home sometimes means, uh, you know, shopping. So, you know, things were bogged down. And so it took a long time. But finally, they started on renovating the building. See, we were changing use. So the, the building has to go through all sorts of code updates, which are extensive and very expensive. So we, uh, they're just working on all of that now. They're working on time. Everything is on time. And we're, they're looking at a finish uh, in the middle of June. So in about three months. But then we may have the same problem that the convent has. Yes. Yes. And that two years that went by, I think that next, uh, estimating from years past, I would say we'll probably have 10 new seminarians coming in. And we're ordaining four, so we will have, uh, we, we're presently 15, so we'll have 22 seminarians. We have 25 seminarian rooms there. All right, so do the math, as they say, and we hold them for seven years. So Do, I, do the math again. <laughs> do the math again. You know, Now, some people do not persevere for one reason or another, so there is some attrition, but still, it's a trend that bothers me. If we have another 10 in the next academic year, the only thing I can do at this point is to split the seminary between the upper classes and the lower classes. That sounds kind of funny. Between the theology and philosophy, which are the the big split in the seminary. And how I will do that, I don't know at this point. I don't know. So we talked about the school. I found out from Bishop Selway there's a waiting list of 80 to get into the school at the moment. So the common response that I know that lay people will say here is, well, that's a good problem to have, Your Excellency. I get that every single time that I tell this story. And your response is, well, that's true but it still requires money. I am inclined to say, give me a check for a million dollars and it will be a good problem to have. (laughs) (laughs) It's unfortunate to say, but the reality is that we could do so much more with more money. It sounds terrible to say that, but it's just that we are empowered as far as expansion, you know, and getting our work done and, and getting the message out and everything that we are meant to do if we had more resources. So we're limited by that. In other words, if I could say, well, if we get more seminarians, I could go out with a few million dollars and buy another building. I wouldn't worry about it. You see, I would just say, well, it's like going out shopping at at the local supermarket. You know, just go buy a building. But I have to think about after I have drained (laughs) the bank accounts of all of our people for this building, how can I turn around again and say, well, we have to get another building? You know, we're, we're dealing with small numbers. The Society of St. Pius X has the advantage of what I call the brand, and that is Archbishop Lefebvre, who was a, the figure in the traditional movement, and people want to be associated with him, but also their policy of saying, we're with the Pope, which is false. They're not with the Pope, but they say it. 
and they have the picture of Bergoglio coming into their churches, and they're known to be unakum. They offer the Mass in union with the Holy Father, they say. you know, It's all false because they are not with him, and he is not with them. They are renegades as far as he's concerned. They are outside of his communion, and they don't pay attention to him. They act as if he doesn't exist. They are not really with him, but it makes people feel good that our priest is with the Pope, whereas the Sede Vacantists are not with the Pope. Between those two things, the association with Archbishop Lefebvre, and I would have to say that lie, that they are with the Pope, it makes an attractive option for many people. I had a chance to speak with some of the seminarians this week about their confreres, the different vocations that were coming in. And one of the seminarians mentioned to me, he said, you know, sometimes people can get excited about wearing a cassock and being in a seminary, but they forget that you have to wake up at five in the morning. Yes. And I, I think that's an important reality to underline that there is a regimen here. It's serious. And it's something that I've shared with you before that I have a passion for trying to alleviate some of that in, in terms of having people to come help with different tasks so that their priests have more time to devote to priestly things and the seminarians have more time to devote to their studies, that it's a wall-to-wall day. I, I see them, there is obviously time for recreation, but there's not a lot of idle time at the seminary. It's very little, actually. They actually requested the other night that they have a, a little bonfire, not, not you know, a, a little campfire. It was the feast, uh, some big feast, I forget what it was. St. Joseph, because as a seminarian said, we get very little chance to talk to each other. And I sort of taken aback by that, that they are so busy because you see in the past, again, the diocese would have a lot of money and seminarians never touched a dish. They, they never touched a mop or a lawnmower. They studied, which is correct, but we cannot afford a whole set of employees to do all of those things. You have to be a big diocese with millions of people in your diocese, and the seminary can afford to do that. That's correct because you know priests are meant to study, to pray. Uh, they are not meant to be mowing lawns and doing dishes. But unfortunately, we have to make them do that. And they also had brothers. You see, brothers would, or nuns even. I remember at Dunwoody, there was a nun's convent right next door to the convent. They would cook and they would clean. And that was a luxury that, and, well, at that time, it was just considered just normal. standard. Yeah, but that's uh, something that perhaps down the line we can aspire to. But, you know, I even get requests for brothers. You know, could I be a religious brother? And again, I say, money. We need a house. We need the priests to run it. <laughs> the Now, brothers can do things whereby they can support themselves. Like, for example, uh, you know, bookbinding or other many, many skills that they could acquire whereby they can support themselves. Priests do not devote their time to that. They devote their time to the apostolate and to prayer and the office and the sacrifice of the mass. They're preaching and they're very busy in all of those things. So they can't get into manual labor or skills that would raise funds. But it is true that brothers could do that. They could also run schools just as the nuns are doing, and that would bring in some income for them. But again, to set that up is a big task and requires uh, seed money, you know, a building. <laughs> so it's not as easy as it sounds. I, I cannot train them both in the same environment. The same. Different, so di different facility. You hate to associate religion with filthy lucre, you know, as St. Peter calls it. But unfortunately, we are human beings. We have to live under roofs. We have to, you know, do those things.
Uh, and you see the buildings of the church in the past. You know, it's a sign of the the generosity of the people that those things existed. I think if there corresponding rise in vocations for the nuns, interest in the school, interest in the seminary, I would hope that there is a match from lay people in supporting these sorts of things. Whether that might be people volunteering to possibly help out. Uh, at the seminary in, in their own way, or down the line, potentially religious brothers, as His Excellency says, this won't happen without our contribution. So I hope that some of our listeners are inspired or may pass the sentiments of this episode on to someone with means who may be able to help. And there's plenty to do. As I, I was mentioning to His Excellency, there's always something to do. There's never really a free moment where there's no projects on the agenda. And as with the funds, there will always be places for those funds to go. And if you are generous, then I think our Lord will, will not be outdone in generosity. Well, thank you for this brief update as to the hopefully vocation tsunami that's coming and the necessary financial tsunami that we need to, as lay people, contribute to match the generosity of these young people. Thank you for your time, Your Excellency. Thank you. Thank you.